We have two more sermons, uh, today's sermon and next week, and that will conclude John 19, and then we'll move on to uh, John uh, chapter 20. If uh, you need a Bible, in the seat back in front of you, there are Bibles, and if you want to uh, borrow one of those, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, Our text is John 19, verses 31 through 37. says, uh, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their, li- that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Amen. So, interesting text today. And it's rich in truth. And I hope I can do my very best to explain to you what's going on here and to give you some applications that will benefit your spiritual life. Uh, what we have here, as we look at this text, we, we have Jesus uh, just suffering a violent death. But as, as Jesus, as his life, his earthly life comes to an end, uh, so to speak, for the time being, uh, there is something special that is happening uh, for the life of those who are his. From his death life is springing up, right? And that's one of the beautiful things that we see in the crucifixion. See, last week, we read, about the, we read a short description about Jesus' death. Pastor Laramie preached on that, and uh, that covered verses 28 through 30. Now, in those verses, we can identify the importance that John places on the fulfillment of scriptures. And, and here, at the end of chapter 19, that is a focal point for John. It has been as we've marched through the gospel of John, but here in John 19, uh, you see it explicitly and you see it often. And John continues to point out in scripture the places where scripture is fulfilled in the death of Christ. And his focus on the fulfillment of Christ even continues in our text today. You know, we see John and we see that he was a, we recognize he was a disciple of Christ and he later became an apostle. Um, He was an eyewitness to the supernatural events of the crucifixion. So what he sees and what he knows after all this is done, he's completely 100% positive. There's no doubt in his mind that Jesus was the son of God. There's no doubt in his mind that, that, that Jesus was both man and God. But see, what John is doing here in our text and in this whole gospel is that he is documenting what he is saying, not for himself, 
but he is documenting what he is seeing for the generations of believers who would come after and who would need reassurance that God's son actually died on the cross. So, in essence, as we read John chapter 19, and especially the end, uh, the ending of that chapter, we are benefiting from what John saw and what, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what he documented for us. And he says it in the text, so that we may believe. So this right now, this is for our faith. This is for our confidence in what God has done. This is for us. Well, in today's passage, there are two important fulfillment of scriptures that we're, we are going to learn about. Fulfillment number one is that they, uh, the Romans, the Roman guards, they did not break Jesus' legs. That's one. And then the other fulfillment of scripture is that Jesus' side was pierced. So number one, they did not break his legs, and number two, that his side was pierced. And as you will see, understanding the significance of the fulfillment of these prophecies, it's not just information that is useful or good to know, but rather it helps us to better understand the effectiveness of the cross. His death, and I speak of Jesus, his death was effective in bringing about true life to many who would place their faith in him, right? To many who would place their faith, to the many who would come to know him. And I can even say to all who would come to know him. So from the death of Christ, it's awesome to know that you and I have received new spiritual life. And these prophecies here that are fulfilled help us to understand that better. So let's take a closer look at this passage. Before I get to the fulfillment of these prophecies, I want to talk about some details leading up to their fulfillment. Look at verse 31. John begins in verse 31 with a reference to the, prepar- to the day of preparation. Now that's an interesting um, day in the Jewish calendar, in the Jewish week. The day, this was the day before the Jewish, the Jewish Sabbath, and we know that the Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday. Now, according to Exodus 16.23, the day before the Sabbath was a time for the Jewish people to prepare for the Sabbath. So everything that they needed to get done, they would do on the day of preparation. So that when the Sabbath came, they focused on the Lord all day long. So anything that needed to get done, think of the things that you do on a daily basis. They cooked, they cleaned. That was their day of preparing for the Lord's day so that they would not have to do those things and not only rest, but to rest in the Lord. That was a whole purpose of the day of preparation. They performed these things in advance so that they can enjoy the holy day in comfort. And because the Jewish Sabbath was approaching at sunset, on the day that Jesus was crucified, it was important that the Jewish religious leaders, it was important to the Jewish religious leaders to have the bodies of the three men on the crosses removed. And we see the urgency in our passage. The reason for their removal would be based on an Old Testament law that stated this, uh, Deuteronomy 21, 
verses 22 to 23. Listen to what Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23 says. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. So we see, when we look at our passage, we see an urgency for these Jewish religious leaders to get Jesus and the two men off the cross. And that's the reason why there's this urgency. They're looking at the Old Testament law and they're remembering, they know that they have to get these men off of the cross because enough, to avoid the defilement of their land. Now, think about that for a moment. Like this is one of those, this is one of those things that just, uh, it's, it's bewildering when we look at this passage and we see the motive behind the Jewish religious leader, leaders. Here's another example of these Jewish religious leaders being so stringent, obeying the letter of the law, while at the same time crucifying the Son of God. See, they're not concerned about the fact that they're putting an innocent man to death. In fact, they've already confessed that they know he's innocent, but it, it would be better for him to die for the nation of Israel than to go on doing what he's doing because then the Romans would come against them. So they have no issue putting an innocent man to death. And by the law, and by the way, the Old Testament law does condemn putting an innocent man to death. But they weren't worried about that. Rather, they're worried about getting his body down so that they look pious, right? Because no one else knows what they are doing. No one else knows the, how Jesus was innocent like they do. They don't know their motives. But if they were to leave these three men on the cross that day all the way into the Sabbath, well, then everybody would start talking about them. How dare you? You know that. That's not something you ought to do. So for their benefit of their reputation, they are trying to get Jesus and the two men off of the cross. Now, I think this uh, whole situation here, it, it's worth us spending a little time on and talking about the pharisaical person. Because here, when we look at this passage and we look at this part of the passage, we can see a, someone acting like a Pharisee. And when I mean, what I mean by that is that someone who is focused on legalism rather than worship. See, when the goal of obeying God's word is piety, when the, when the goal is for you to feel good about yourself and for you to look good in front of others, instead of worshiping the Lord, then we are developing pharisaical tendencies. That's legalism. See, when you're more concerned about the optics, that's a word that's used a lot now, I hear it a lot, the optics, how things look. That's a word that's used in business a lot nowadays. Is that the most effective thing for us to do? No, it's not the most effective thing for us to do, but the optics are very beneficial. It looks very, very good. 
See, that has infiltrated into the Christian life to where what's better, the way things look or worship? Right? And so we have to be very careful about that to not put the optics above worship because the optics are just that. It's just what people see. But what is God concerned about? He's concerned about the heart. God just doesn't want us to look good, but he wants us to be good as he is good. So when you're more concerned about the optics than you are about worship, then you are playing dangerously close to legalism. And what happens with self-righteous pity is that the heart is never full of it. That's the problem with it. If you see somebody who is very legalistic, now, do not confuse what I'm saying. Some people place legalism on just obeying the word of God. If you're obeying the word of God, they're like, oh, you're being legalistic. God doesn't expect you to obey his word like that. That's, that's not legalism. That's obeying the word of God. What legalism is, is taking what the word of God says and going beyond that and putting your own meaning to God's law and applying it not only to yourself, but to everyone around you. That's an aspect of legalism. Or it could be, I'm worried about the optics more than I am about worship. It could be going through the motion so that you look good, but really never having true worship in mind as you do it. And that's the case that we have here when we look at the Jewish religious leaders. And as I said before, what happens with self-righteous piety is that the heart is never full of it. And eventually the heart goes beyond what God has required. Why? Well, because it has to set itself, it has to set itself apart from everybody else. It has to be more pious than everyone around. And that's exactly what we see the Pharisees doing here. And then that legalistic person then becomes more concerned about obeying the word of God that he has made up in his own mind over the laws of God. And as I said before, he tends to hold everyone else to that. John Calvin says this, in order to keep a strict observance of their Sabbath, they, the Jewish religious leaders, are careful to avoid outward pollution. There's the optics, right? The outward pollution. And yet, they do not consider how shocking a crime it is to take away the life of an innocent man. It reminds me of Matthew 15, 8, where Jesus tells these Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's legalism. And we know that God judges the heart. We know that what we do needs to be out of the act of worship not out of the act of optics or the concern of optics. So in order to stay compliant with Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23, we see in verse 31 that the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now that might sound odd, but what, is tr- what they're trying to do here, see what we have to understand is that the Romans were expert executioners, and they had methods to 
quicken the death of those who were suffering on the cross. That was the point of suffering on the cross was it was a long, painful thing. And eventually people would die from shock from, due to the loss of blood or because they could not breathe anymore. And it was a long and painful death. But since this was a day of preparation and the next day was the Sabbath, uh, they decided, well, let's break their legs. And breaking their legs would not allow them to lift up their bodies to be able to breathe. And so, therefore, they would die or they would expire a lot quicker. And where they broke their legs was extremely painful. Have you ever walked through your house at night and you bump your shin on something? really hard and it's just ouch well that's the place where they broke the legs of those who hung on the cross they had an, a mallet or a club and they would walk up to those who were crucified and they would shatter their shins to where they could not pick themselves up any longer and they would just hang there and eventually just die of suffocation so, and this was a, this, this is what the Romans considered an act of mercy so that they could die quicker. But this is exactly what is happening here in our passage, so that they could meet the letter of the law. Now, in order to make sure that the men would die quickly, we see in verses 31 to 33 that the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who had been crucified with him but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. That's fulfillment number one, right? We'll keep, we'll keep on because there's more. Now, to ensure that Jesus had already died, in verse 34, it says that one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Fulfillment number two. Now, the reason why I go over these details leading up to the fulfillment of Scripture in the crucifixion of Christ is very important. Now, see, because afterward, many have claimed that the fulfillment of these passages were scripted or fixed in some way. As if Jesus was like, like he studied Old Testament texts and then he was like, okay, well, now it's time for me to drink the water. Now it's time for... You know, now it's time for you to divide up my clothes. Now it's time for me to do this. Now it's time for me to do that. And as I do this and as I do that, then people are going to think that I am really the son of God. That's an argument that is used today to deny the divinity of Christ. But here, what can Christ do? Scripture says that he is dead. And yet... Although he's dead, we see the fulfillment of scripture happening anyway. Well, why is that? Well, because God's sovereign hand is, is moving in that crucifixion. Orchestrating, bringing about his will in the crucifixion of Christ. And that's why it's important. See, Jesus' lifeless body just hung there while God the Father orchestrated the details leading up to the fulfillment of Scripture. And when we look at the crucifixion, we must understand that every detail was a result of the sovereign will of God. Every detail of it. Some paint a picture of God the Father just 
wanting to do something to help his son, but he could just he just could not do it. He could not bring himself to do it. That is not biblical. It pleased the Lord to crush his son. There was a purpose behind it. Both for the father and the son. This was already agreed upon before anything was created. Before the foundation of the earth was formed. This was what was going to be done for the forgiveness of our sins. So John was carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. Why? As he says here in John 19, so that we would believe. Now let's get into the fulfillment of both of these prophecies. John points out two Old Testament passages that were fulfilled in everything that happened. Look at verses 36 and 37. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. John's very clear about that. Then he goes on. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. Now, when we look at the first one, not one of his bones will be broken. That was a fulfillment of Psalm 3420. Now, Psalm 3420 says he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, what's really interesting about that verse and especially the fact that Jesus, that none of Jesus's bones were broken is that it strikes a remarkable resemblance to the instructions that the Israelites receive whenever they were preparing their Passover meal. The Passover lamb, they were instructed with the Passover lamb to not break any of its bones. So year after year, all the way from the Exodus, every year they celebrated the Passover and every year they, they had to be careful not to break the bone of the Passover lamb. Why? As I said before, God's sovereign hand was involved here and he was pointing to Christ through that requirement. Because Jesus was the Passover lamb. So none of his bones were broken. And then the prophecy about him, his side being pierced, comes from Zechariah 12, 10, where it says, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Now, what's awesome about the fulfillment of these two prophecies and also that John documented them is that um, in theology, it's called an infallible interpretation of Scripture. You know, sometimes you get to a very confusing passage that you read in a Bible and it's hard to interpret and you kind of need help to do it. And there are plenty of wonderful, godly uh, people, there are godly men down the centuries of the church who God has gifted to help us to understand some very hard passages. Right? I, I, I lie heavily on commentary sometimes to help me understand lexicons to help me understand the Greek language or the Hebrew language. That's all part of, of a pastor's study in order to prepare either a Bible study or a sermon. But 
even sometimes when I read these great men, there are times where I kind of, I disagree. And I'm not trying to put myself against Matthew Henry or Charles Spurgeon or anybody else like that, but I, I just, I disagree with the light that we have been given in this time and this age. And it may not be where I disagree completely, but maybe there's more that, that I can add to that. But when we come to an infallible interpretation of Scripture, there is nothing more to add to it. And all we can do is agree with it. Why? Because it is God interpreting what God has already said. God has given meaning to what he has already said in Scripture. And when I talk about infallible, it's incapable of being wrong. So here, God interprets Scripture with Scripture. In this New Testament passage, he's interpreting and giving meaning to these Old Testament passages. Now, think of the importance of the fulfillment of these passages. As God interpreted these Old Testament passages uh, as fulfilled in Christ, number one, he was pointing to the fact that Christ was the Messiah. Now, this is God who is interpreting these passages, so he's the one who is saying he is the one, right? Because these, these interpretations are these promises, these prophecies, rather, they were pointing to the Messiah and what would happen to the Messiah. And, and, and God is making it known that these, these passages from the Old Testament, all along, all these years, they were lying and waiting to point to Jesus Christ, who would be crucified for our sins. See, with the fact that Jesus' legs were not broken by the Romans and that his side was pierced with a spear proves that Jesus, not only that, that he completely died on the cross, but he was the one who was supposed to die on the cross. Because think about it this way. Imagine if Jesus lived his life and he just died of a heart attack. How would he be the Messiah? There's no prophecy about a man who seemed to be God and died of a heart attack. Or what if he died like a lot of people died in those days with an infection? There's no prophecy in the Old Testament that said that the Messiah would die from an infection. Or what if he were murdered, stabbed to death? Again, there's nothing to point to. But the Old Testament does say that the Messiah, that he would die on the tree, that his side would be pierced, that he would be ridiculed and mocked and slapped, that he would be nailed to a cross. The Old Testament does say that, and that's exactly what happened. God is pointing to Jesus at this moment in time. And as he continued and always does, he's saying, this is my son. He's the promise I made. He's dying for your sins right now. That's exactly what is happening. And, and John is here, an eyewitness of that, being used by the Holy Spirit to See it, document it, so that we may believe. And the fact that there were eyewitness accounts to verify that something 
that to verify that Jesus actually died on the cross. And that is paramount to the future of Christianity. Think about what you do whenever you want somebody to believe what you are saying. What do you do? I promise. Right? As a kid. No, it really did happen. No, it didn't stop. It didn't happen. No, it, it did. It did. I, I did. No, it didn't. I promise it did. I promise. And then all of a sudden, whoa, he, prom- whoa, he promised. That's big. Right? Well, God promised in the Old Testament. And God never fails on his promises like we do. He promised it would happen. And then people actually saw it happen. And it was documented for our faith. See, the fulfillment of these Old Testament passages in the death of Christ validated the promise that God made to his people that he eventually would provide a savior so that we would be able to be with him. We are living in the last days now, but there will be a last day. The Bible says that there will be a last day. And I think that these interpretations uh, are these, these fulfillment of prophecies of Old Testament prophecies will be extremely important on that day. Because there are people who walk around and they're like, I don't believe in Jesus as the son of God. I, I need, if I'm going to believe in him, I need to see it with my own eyes. And God has given us the ability to, he has given us every opportunity rather to believe. Because he has made the promise, these events have happened. There's eyewitness accounts of what has happened. And, John, and, and God will judge those who either don't believe that Jesus is truly their savior. They're still waiting on a savior. Well, God's going to judge them because he has made a promise and all those promises were fulfilled in Christ. There's proof of that. And if we do not believe that, then that's on us. Right. And then also there are some who just don't believe that God even exists. And we know what Romans chapter one says about that. Right. That he's he's given enough evidence of his exist of his existence. But for those one, for those who are waiting two, for those who just do not believe. God is going to judge them based on the fact that all this time he has been pointing to his son, and where he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. If we fail to recognize Jesus as his beloved son, and if we fail to listen to him, then we will be judged by God. But there is something else, too, I think that's extremely important in this passage. And it's always been interesting to me I look at it and I, I, it just fills me with wonder what really happened. Because I do believe John. He says, I, I saw these things. I, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit would allow him to lie in his description of what he saw. But something that's very interesting and very hard to explain is the blood and the water. It's always fascinated me. But then you look at what they mean and it makes a lot of sense. I just don't know what it looked like. 
See, the blood and the water had meaning. Jesus' death on the cross, it brought two things, and, that, and that's what the blood and water signify. First of all, it brought justification. And then also it brought sanctification. And that's what John is pointing to. See, the blood, his death on the cross brought justification. By his blood, right? By his blood, we are cleansed. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, for us to be justified before God, there needed to be blood. And when that soldier went and pierced the side of Jesus, John says, I saw blood and I saw water. And people have pointed, they have, uh, there's no way for us to know. But people have said, oh, well, that, that's a good indication of, of what Jesus actually died of when he was on the cross. He could have had a heart attack in this, this water, and, and that's where the water and the blood separated and they pulled. And when they pierced the side, they came out separately. I have no idea what happened. I just know that John says he saw it and I believe him. And I believe also that they have extreme, there's, a, there's importance in their meaning. The blood is the justification that we receive from God. See, by his blood, he paid the penalty for our sin and appeased the wrath of God. The Bible says on him was the wrath of God applied so that we could be saved from it. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And then on the other side, the water, his death on the cross brought sanctification as well. Listen to this from John chapter 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, all along in the gospel of John, I, I lost count. I went back and looked at them, but I didn't have time to put them in this sermon. But there were several occurrences where Jesus re references himself to water. And then we see it at the very end when his side is pierced. Blood and water come out. See, Jesus had already said that in him are the springs of living water. And whoever drinks of him will never be thirsty again. In his death. He not only supplied for our justification, but through the power of the cross, he also makes us holy every single day. In him, we have spiritual growth. And what John witnessed, it never left him. Turn with me to uh, 1 John chapter 5. I want to read this and then we'll get to the application. 1 John chapter 5. What he saw that day must have been out of this world. Because he documents it here in 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is he who came by water and blood. That's how he starts off here. Right? Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater 
For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Why would he say that at the very end? Because whoever does not have the son is not justified and will not be sanctified. So as we understand these things, you know, how can we apply them? What can we learn from them? Well, first of all, as I said before in the beginning of the sermon, from Jesus' death, we have life. So through him, we have new life. And Jesus says this life is to the full. Right. So from his death, the violence of his death came a beautiful life for those who place their faith in him. So because Jesus' death was the fulfillment of scripture, let me tell you this first and foremost. And please listen to me when I say this. Your faith is not in vain. It's not. See, the fulfillment of scriptures help, help us with that. That's why John says, I saw this. It happened. It was fulfilled in scripture. And I'm telling you so that you may believe. So he's basically saying, I'm, I'm telling you so that you may be reminded whenever you have doubt if Jesus is truly the savior of the world. Because God has promised it and it happened just like God had promised it. It's proof for us. So the question is, do you, ever, do you ever wonder if your faith is wrong? And if you're being honest, everybody's head needs to say yes, right? Because even John the Baptist was like, hey, are you really the Christ? So yes, we've all struggled with that at some point or another. And when you struggle with that, I want you to remember the fulfillment of Scripture in Christ. Because through the fulfillment of Scripture, God is pointing at Jesus as his son and as your savior. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that passage. Because it says so much that we could really appreciate, we can learn from, and we could practice. I love that it does not say, therefore, my beloved brothers, hey, just chill out until the very end, knowing that your, 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 your faith is not in vain. It, it doesn't say, therefore, my beloved brothers, hey, take it easy. Take it easy, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? doesn't say, therefore, my beloved brothers, don't burden yourself with the work of the Lord because you're so busy with other things already, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Oh, it says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
See, we can rest in Christ while we worship him, while we serve him. We can rest in him knowing that he has conquered death for us. And that we ourselves, that our labor is strictly for worship and not out of service to pay him back. Because we cannot pay him back. He's paid everything in full already. So, in essence, we are slaves instead of indentured servants. We're not paying anything back. Rather, we're serving because we are worshiping our master. Number two, as we look at this. Not only do we see that the fulfillment of Scripture is important, but also we must understand because Jesus died on the cross, we can know that our sins are completely paid for. That is so important, and so many people struggle with that. That's a question that I've gotten a lot in the past, and that's a question that a lot of, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but that's a question that a lot of immature Christians have. And I, I mean that in love. Because we're all immature at one point or another, both physically and spiritually. But for those who are immature in their faith and they don't have the understanding of the cross, one thing that they struggle with is the loss of their salvation. And they apply their, their, their lifestyle to if they are saved or not. If they are full of good works and they feel good about their salvation, but if they are, are in sin then everything is, is wiped out because they're like, well, how can I keep on sinning if I'm saved? Well, I don't know. Ask the Apostle Paul, right? He says that in Romans chapter 7. But, but when we look at the cross and we see that there was blood that came from his side and that it symbolized the justification for those who would believe on him, and we can rest in our salvation knowing that we ourselves did not bring salvation to us, right? We didn't save ourselves, rather. And, and we didn't help God to save us. The only thing that saved us was the blood. The sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross solely and completely paid the penalty for our sin. That's it. If we're not resting on the cross, we're not resting on the right thing. There are, I have good days, I have bad days. There are days where I feel like, man, I'm being effective for the Lord. And there are days where I'm like, man, I'm the most horrible sinner ever. And I know we all struggle with the same thing. There's this, this dichotomy that we struggle with, right, of being saints and sinners. But no matter what, if we are the Lord's, we are the Lord's. Because we have been forgiven by his blood. And nothing can break that bond. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. I want to read John chapter 10 for you real quick, just to give that to you as you think about what I just said. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. And this is where Jesus says, um, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Man, that's so wonderful to read. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. 
And if you ever doubt your salvation, if you ever think that a sin can wipe away everything that Christ has done for you, you do not have the right understanding of the cross. And if you struggle with that, please get with me, get with Pastor Laramie. Number one, we want to pray for you, but number two, we want to, we want to teach you. We want to teach you the, the power of the cross and the power of the blood and how we have been justified, not by our actions, but what Christ has done. See, if, you are, if Christ is yours and you are his, then there is no fear in life or in death. And then lastly, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, we can know that God will fulfill his purpose in us. Not only are we justified, but God is going to continue to sanctify us until, until the Lord comes back. See, God not only provided for our justification in Jesus' death on the cross, but through Christ, he also provides for our continual spiritual growth. This, this is what Psalm 138.8 says. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. That's, that's the, the promise that we could hold on to. That the Lord, he will fulfill his purpose for me. Right? We can all say that. He will fulfill his purpose for me. Everything, everything that has happened to you, everything, good, bad, and the ugly, everything that has happened to you, everything that is happening to you now, and everything that will happen to you in the future has a divine purpose. God is fulfilling his purpose in you. You have to understand there are no accidents. There's only sovereignty. There are, there are no accidents in what God is doing. There's only God's sovereign will. What we have to do is that we, we must trust. We must trust him and see that he is working in all things for his glory and for our greater good. That's what we must do. I hope that this sermon was beneficial to you, to all who are here. We're, gonna, we're about to play our last song. And while this last song is playing... We're leaving this time open for a time of prayer. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot that has been said. There's a lot to pray about at this moment. If you want to pray at your seat with your family or by yourself, feel free to do that. I know if you want to come up here and you want somebody to pray with you, that's also open as well. The fact is, is that let's not waste this time of meditation, of prayer. If you want to just worship in the singing of this song, that's fine too. 
But let's think, upon, let's think about what was said today and what God's word has said to us as we sing this song.